Well, welcome everyone. This is Ben and Cynthia Bailey. You are joining us for week eight of The Promised One, and we are seeing Jesus in the Jacob story. And so we are covering quite uh, a larger passage uh, this week, which is chapters 25 through 35 of Genesis. And so as one that gets lost in the detail, then help us hone in on what are we kind of focusing in on for these 10 chapters. All right, so this is a big chunk, and you want to remember one of the things we talked about last week about how these are stories of transformation. So get drawn into the personal drama of the transformation. So you're going to see Jacob slowly, very slowly, being transformed from a a grasping, conniving, manipulative uh, person into a humble, weak, broken Uh, man of faith. So we're going to watch that. So that's what you want to see. One of the most important skills you can develop as you're reading the Bible is to learn to key in on the key words. Mm. And so it's really important. One of the ways many of the biblical writers will highlight, uh, and that's because, you know, they were writing for oral cultures. They They were writing to be heard. And so they would highlight key words. And one of the key words that runs all throughout Genesis is blessing. Mm. So blessing. So when you when you hear the word blessing, what do you think of? Favor. Well, actually, recently I think of blessing as what we are trying to train our kids to to be. We're trying to instill character in our kids, and one of the one of the phrases that I try and drill in their heads is "be a blessing." So anytime we're dropping them off somewhere or. Um, anytime that we're asking them to pick up, we're trying to instill in them why. Why are we doing that? And it's to be a blessing. Oh, that's good. I mean, I think a blessing like food. Say the blessing before you eat. <laughs> and then uh, you're not from the South, but in the South, we use the, like, the word blessing or bless as a criticism, a like cut a down. derogatory yeah. thing. So if, bless her heart. Yep, yep. You hear that about somebody, that is, that is not a compliment. <laughs> And if you're going to understand Genesis, that's one of the key words. Um, What does it mean for God to bless you, to be blessed by the Lord? This is the the main thing. There's nothing more important than securing the blessing of God on your life and on your nation. That's a key theme that runs through the Old Testament. And if you look in the book of Genesis, uh, the word blessing is used 88 times. So it is the one of the major themes, but there's a special concentration of it in the Jacob story. So the key to Jacob's story in the, these sections, 23 times it uses the word blessing. So one helpful reading strategy is I will take just like a little highlighter or a little pen and just every time you see the word, just mark it. And then go back and look at all your markings and try and think, all right, how is it being used here? What's it, what's it doing? So unpack the meaning of blessing. Yeah, so when we send our kids out into the world and we're asking them to be a blessing, what are we wanting them to be and uh, become? Or when you're reading it, what is blessing? Actually, another way to think about blessing here in this context in Genesis is almost, um, or think of it as empowerment. Hmm. So you're empowered to have children in Genesis one twenty two. He blessed them to be fruitful and multiply. You are empowering them to prosper. That's the whole key with the Jacob story. If you have the blessing of the Lord that you're going to prosper. And this is something that's a little hard for us to understand, but you'll see all throughout Genesis when the blessing is spoken over or upon someone, it is 
The technical word is efficacious. It's powerful. It actually accomplishes what it says. So it's a similar dynamic to when a minister at your wedding says, I now pronounce you man and wife. It's a powerful word. It's actually by the power of the word, your position in life has now been altered. It now has changed. You have a new status. So that's why it's so important when, you know, the end of Jacob's life and he's going to bless all of his children. It's so important. He's, he's imparting a word in essence that is going to bring about the reality of what is said. And of course, the, the New Testament parallel is in the power of the word preached. That's why Paul talks about by the foolishness of the preached word, we um, bring about the reality of gospel transformation. So it's a, it's a powerful word. And so one of the key themes in Genesis is how um, the Lord gives the promise of blessing. It's given all in chapter 1, chapter 2. It's given to fish, birds, animals, given to humans. It's even given to the Sabbath. The Lord blesses uh, the Sabbath. Or what sin does is threatens the reality of the blessing, and then the cursing, the curse, is the counterpart to blessing. So blessing mm-hmm. is in a state of flourishing, and mm-hmm. curse curse is you're in a state of decay, death, mm-hmm. destruction. So blessing and curses, those are the two dynamics. Mm-hmm. And so actually one of the things you'll see throughout all of Genesis is every time there's the reality of sin, the promise of blessing is renewed and restored. So to Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac here in, in 26, and then Jacob, mm-hmm. and then through Jacob's children through the line of Judah. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you encourage our children to be a blessing mm-hmm. because you know, so the promise to Abraham is that you will be a blessing. But one of the tensions we see with the whole Jacob story is Jacob wants to receive the blessing, mm-hmm. but not necessarily be the blessing. And there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the listeners, we have four children, and they're still at that young, beautiful age where whenever I leave, and then even if it's just for a minute and then come back, they get super excited and squeal and daddy's home and they run and you get the <laughs> hug and it just, it fills my soul up with um, joy. joy. <laughs> and so sometimes I'll just step outside. I don't have to go anywhere. Just step outside <laughs> so I can come back in and get, get the new hug. And uh, fortunately, I mean, one of the great blessings of our job in life is I don't have to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can imagine traveling Thinking of them when you're away, wanting to get them little trinkets coming home. Yeah, and then at some point, I'm sure there's a transition where they're not as excited for daddy to be home, but then there's a transition where they're excited because daddy's home, and what did you bring us? (laughs) So there is this temptation in all of life to want to receive the the blessings, but not be. And Mm -hmm. one of the key challenges here is, do you want just the gifts of the Lord or do you want the Lord, Mm -hmm. his presence or his presence? So that's going to be one of the major tensions, one of the major dramas we're going to see unfold. So a couple things to notice. I think this is fascinating. In 25 verse 21, notice, um, so Isaac is the child of promise and the Lord has promised through him uh, through Abraham's descendants, that's going to go through Isaac, that the blessing is that they'll have a nation as as numerous as the stars in the sky. But then notice, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is barren. 
So how does Isaac actually bring about the reality of the promise given? Verse 21, it's, and Isaac prayed to the Lord. A couple times at Iterate, he prayed, he inquired of the Lord. So the way the promise is actually fulfilled is through the faithful prayers of Isaac. Mm. So this isn't like some magic wand you can wave and you don't have to be engaged or involved. Prayer is the incredible gift to us of agency. The way God is going to fulfill his promises and his purposes in the world, one of the primary means is through our praying. And I bet Isaac was very much impressed upon by his father. You know, Isaac, of course, knew his mother was barren. And so I'm sure that emboldened his faith, his faith and his prayers. And it is fascinating how many stories here uh, begin with barrenness. Mm -hmm. It's out of barrenness that life comes. And then there's this poem in verse 23. And you always want to key in on these these poetic sections because they're kind of key markers. Because the promise is that the younger is going to be served by the older. So the, the, the line of promise, God says, from the very beginning is going to go through the younger. And as the origin story is set up, there's a couple things that he's going to highlight, that Moses is going to highlight, which I find so fascinating. He highlights that it's the younger, and in some sense it's the weaker tells that Esau is the one who grows, and he's the skilled hunter. He's the man of the field. And it paints Jacob. Jacob's the quiet man, that he's the one who dwells in tents. So what does that mean? Why is that significant? Because I think one of the things this illustrates is the beauty and the glory of the Bible. Because the Bible is transcultural. means it stands over every culture. And so you see here, um, so in a traditional culture, the rights, responsibilities, the blessings would go to the eldest, mm -hmm. regardless of capacity or merit. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's, you know, th throughout history, that's one of the great downfalls of the of monarchy as a form of government. Yeah. Because you can have a great king, and then that king will have a son, and he's normally a big dope. Um, so in traditional cultures, everything flows to the eldest son, and but in individualistic cultures, like ours, we claim anyway that this is more of a meritocracy where uh, glory, blessing flows to those who earn it. And actually, I think, I think it's doing a subtly but beautiful thing as the Lord is critiquing both because mm -hmm. you have the undermining of a traditional culture where the younger will actually be served by the older. He's going to choose the younger, mm -hmm. going to choose the culturally despised. But then in the same hand, the weaker is going to be elevated. It's not the stronger. It's not the great warrior who elevates. He actually chooses the weak things of the world mm -hmm. to shame the strong. Mm -hmm. He chooses the foolish to shame the wise. And now as you're reading this story, one of the things you can see from the very beginning, that's the promise. But one of the challenges is why does Isaac not, like much of the family breakdown is because Isaac is either ignoring this promise, or he's rebelling against it because he loves Esau more and he wants the blessing and the things to go to Esau. And so even though Rebecca is manipulative and conniving, she's still at least being faithful to the word and mm -hmm. trying to bring about the promise. So you can actually take a lot of comfort in the fact that this story really, actually all of the stories of all of Abraham's children really illustrate deep family dysfunction. How God still 
accomplishes what he says he's going to do, even despite the disobedience of his people. Right. And if Abraham's family is this kind of a wreck, we shouldn't be surprised (laughs) if ours. Uh, So 25 is actually setting up the whole drama and tension of the story. So you have the birth, and then it jumps right to the birthright story. So you have the birth and then the birthright in verse 29. So here's the f- kind of the famous story where Esau sells his birthright for the, the porridge, the pottage. One translation is lentil stew, and I think if that's a good translation, that it even makes it worse because who in the world would want to like buy lentil stew? <laughs> Since birthright isn't really a common word or a thing that we interact with, today what is it like is it a physical thing is it like a certificate like a piece of paper yeah like what is the birthright that he was trading so did he like trade him his you know his half of the will or something (laughs) so there's commentators are kind of divided on what what does this what was this was it a legal maybe certificate document kind of something signifying a legal transaction or is it more of a spiritual reality so on the legal side, you know, the firstborn would receive twice as much property as each of the other sons in the family, and then the firstborn would carry on the family name and kind of have that legal designation. So maybe it was like, all right, I'll give you this, but you have to sign away your portion of the will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it certainly could be one of those things, or it could be... There's a, there is a dynamic, a spiritual reality of being the one who's going to inherit the promises. So actually, a good place to go is to jump to Genesis 28. Okay. In verse 10, it begins the famous story of Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder, where he's fleeing from Esau, and then he gets to Bethel. Now, there's a number of fascinating things about this story. So this is one of the rich, key moments in the life of Jacob. Um one thing that's interesting is this is the first time we encounter him where we see him praying. So it makes you wonder, like, is this the first time in his life that he really prayed or just the first time um, we see him praying? But then the Lord comes to him in the middle of the night and starting in verse 13 and says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread a abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. And so, like Matthew Henry says, the birthright is actually to be the inheritor of these promises. Hmm. So as you notice, he's reiterating all of the promises that he's given to Abraham, Mm -hmm. that he's given to Isaac. He's given him the same promises and then adds one that wherever he goes, he will promise to bring him back. Hmm. So he's going to be exiled, cast out of the promised land, but he promises to bring him back. And so I think there is an element, whatever the birthright is, if it was like some type of legal document, or um, I think it's the reality of being the inheritor of these promises. Okay. And this actually is highlighting one of the glories and the privileges of growing up, I think, like in a Christian home, that you grow up in a home where you're, you're the inheritor of Christian promises yeah. and Christian hope and all these things. All these promises were true for him because they were true for his family. And so 
Um, I think there's an element of that. So I think so often one of the things Christian kids can do when they grow up in a Christian home, sometimes they can like snub that and turn their nose up at that. And I think that's one of the most foolish things you can do when they go off to college and they sell that birthright. Makes you wonder how do you instill a heart of gratitude for being born into a Christian family? And not only that, you can see here um, God gives them the promises, and then Jacob is wanting the right things. Um, in that first part of the story when he tricks and deceives Esau out of the birthright, I'd, I mean, if it is those promises, he's wanting the things that are right. Mm-hmm. But the question is he's going about getting them in the wrong way. Yeah. So you can begin to see it's he, he does want the, the gifts of God, but maybe not God himself. Mm-hmm. So this begins his 20-year exile. So he goes into the land of Haran for 20 years. And this story is it's so pivotal for biblical theology, because what we're doing here is an exercise in biblical theology where we're trying to trace the themes. And there's two major themes that you can see in the story. It's the one of the reality of the temple where heaven and earth touch. Mm-hmm. And so this Jacob's Ladder is a new place where now you see where heaven and earth are, are mm. coming together. Uh-huh. They're, they're touching. And, you know, that's the reality of Garden of Eden. Jacob here at Bethel, heaven coming down and touching. It's the reality of tabernacle, temple, Jesus, church, new heavens, new earth. And mm-hmm. so that's a key theme. And another key theme here is exile. Jacob's being exiled from the land, and he's going to spend 20 years, in essence, in Haran in the wilderness. Mm. And it's we go out into the wilderness to learn dependence. This is where Jacob's going to have to be broken. This is where he's going to have to learn to depend on the Lord. And in the scene, it depicts the opposite of what we saw in the Tower of Babel. So Jacob dreams of this ladder that reaches down from heaven to earth. And unlike the Tower of Babel, this was a ladder that was built by God. And this was not a ladder that men would climb up to get to God, but it's a way that God is coming down. So he's coming down to meet us. But here, as Jacob is going into exile, let's just think about, all right, as you're reading, think, all right, what is his situation? So let's kind of get a sketch, all right, kind of, where is he? What does he have? And then how will this be changed? What does he have or, or not have, really? <laughs> yeah, so let's think about all the things he doesn't have. <laughs> he doesn't have a home. All right, so he's homeless. He's about to go into exile. So one of the key places is, all right, do we have a place? Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't have a wife so he's yet, got, even he's, though God's promised him offspring. So he's got no family. He's, now he has no people. He's an outcast. Who are going to be my people? He doesn't have many possessions. So he's poor. He has nowhere to lay his head. He lays his head on a rock. So no possessions. So how can you possess the land with no possessions? So wait a second. We got something building. We got a sermon illustration. Oh, ser- no. structure. So <laughs> he's got no people, no place, no, place, no <laughs> oh, possessions. <laughs> Oh, goodness. What else is the question? And the question is, will he receive the blessing or will he be? So we could say he's got no... He doesn't have a purpose. Purpose. He's not following in line with his <laughs> purpose. Okay. He doesn't have a P, but um, he's pretty much alone. He doesn't have... So kind of going with no people. He's not alone. Or he is alone. 
Yeah, so what we want to look at is how does the Lord's promises transform all of those things? Because those are those are the deep desire. When we talk about blessing, you're talking about you have a people, you have a place, you have a purpose, your life matters, you have those things, you're rooted, you're anchored. Presence. You don't have God's presence. He's alone. There you go. Finish your peas off. Boom. <laughs> All right, so that actually is the key question. How does he get God's presence? So let's fast forward to kind of the end of the story, or at least the story that becomes a significant moment of encountering and wrestling with God's presence. Because really, that's the key. If you have the presence, then all of those other things will flow. And that's what it means to be blessed, is you have the presence of the Lord. His face is shining upon you. Let's fast forward to Genesis 32. Okay. Okay. So this is the famous scene of Jacob wrestling with the angel, the angel changing his name, Jacob saying, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. There's a key thing. You're going to bless me. But there's a couple interesting things to, to note about this. And you, you can see Jacob is so afraid when he's going. I would be too. <laughs> Why would you be afraid? I mean, the last time he saw Esau, Esau was just saying that the way he's going to comfort himself is by killing you. And Obviously, he's not a man to be messed with. <laughs> could crush him. <laughs> but then why does the Lord send him back? Because the Lord intentionally sends him back. Why? I think it just forces Jacob to be dependent upon God. He might not be otherwise so aware of his dependence. Yeah, so that's one of the key lessons is get him to a place of dependence. But just think about the relational dynamic between the two brothers. When was the last time we saw in Genesis two brothers fighting and one wanting to kill the other? What yeah. happened? So we have to reverse that story. The The relationship between the brothers needs to be, it needs to be healed, the relational reconciliation. And this is one of the key realities. That's why Paul talks about we've been given the gospel ministry of reconciliation. Sin tears apart. It separates. It separates us from God. It tears apart our own hearts and souls, and it tears apart our relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's the relational reconciliation that brings him fear, that makes this so difficult. You know, I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately, about how this really is one of the real difficulties, one of the challenges, one of the hard things about ministry is your, in essence, your job is to work for relational reconciliation. You're trying to bring even in all of the hundreds of just small annoyances that can creep into relationships, not necessarily the massive fractures that can happen on a grand scale, but just the way at its, its at the most simple everyday level, you're constantly having to wrestle with doing the hard thing of relational repair. That's why I think Paul, one of his admonitions over and over to the churches he writes, rights to is you have to work for unity maintain the unity and the bond of peace you have to labor for this mm -hmm. and then of course after the re wrestling match happens with the angel uh, Jacob gets his hip dislocated and from then on it says he walks with a limp and I love Sin Sinclair Ferguson talks about often if God's going to have your heart he will dislocate your hip and so he means that often if he's going to capture your heart, sometimes he's got to dislocate certain areas of your life or the mm -hmm. idea of that if God is going to use you, he's got to break you. Mm -hmm. 
And you can see that this is where it happens in Jacob's life. So as you're reading and kind of tracing the trajectory of his life, this is where the moment where I think he gets broken and he ceases to want the gifts from God and starts to want God. Hmm. And that's why the Lord changes his name. So no longer does his name mean grasper. Now it means one who strives, one who wrestles. Hmm. So Ben, as we continue in the story of Jacob, how do we see Jesus in it? You mean? <laughs> you mean how do we get to Jesus from Jacob? <laughs> There's, there's a number of different ways to get there as you're reading through the, the Bible. So one of the primary ways that the Bible teaches us is through patterns and symbols. Mm-hmm. And, um, but another way that's very prominent is through character contrast. So you'll, certain characters will be held up, and they illustrate contrast in how we have one who's better. Mm-hmm. We have, I love, Tim Keller will use the phrase, we have the true and the better. Adam was supposed to be the obedient son in the garden, and in Jesus we have the true and the better Adam. Mm -hmm. We have the true and the better Noah, and we have the true and better Jacob. One of the things that I just love about Nancy Guthrie is how she's just so good at seeing how Jesus is the greater Adam, the greater Abraham, the greater Jacob. So in this story, she just extracts such, such wonderful, beautiful ways how Jesus is greater. And there's a page in the book where she just lays out all these bullet points of how Jesus is the far and greater and better Jacob. And I'll just go through the list. So while Jacob was full of greed and deceit, Jesus was full of grace and truth. While Jacob had been grasping for the blessings of God, even from the day of his birth, Jesus's birth evidenced his refusal to grasp the blessings of God Jesus let go of the riches of heaven so that he might make us co-heirs with him of all he stands to inherit. Now, while Jacob was given a vision of a ladder on which angels ascended and descended, Jesus made it clear that he is the ladder, the link between heaven and earth, saying that no one comes to the Father except through me in John 14, 6. And the next one is beautiful. This is, I think, one of the favorites. It's actually at the beginning of our Bible study when I read this, I just started weeping. I had never seen the connection so clearly as she draws it out. And it says, while Jacob wrestled alone on a dark night to gain a blessing for himself, Jesus wrestled alone on a dark night in the garden of Gethsemane to gain a blessing for you and me. Jesus knew he would not merely walk with a limp for the rest of his life, but was about to offer up his life. Mm, that's good. That's good. Such a good one. And so, and see, on all those reversals, you know, he's reversing. He's the true and better. And all those things that Jacob desired to have a place, to have a people, to have possessions, to have purpose, all those things that it means to be to be blessed, we find all of those in Christ. Mm-hmm. And Christ didn't just grasp those blessings for himself, but he sacrificed himself so he could give it to us. And then we could be blessings and not just receive them. And when he, when Jesus stands with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, and when mm, she asks, mm-hmm. are you greater than our father Jacob? Mm, uh-huh. We can, with a resounding yes, say, yes, dear one. Oh, that's good. That's good. And maybe we'll post, because we actually have some video of you 
at Jacob's Well. I sure do. Pulling up some water from our I was trip. Cranking to it out. And maybe <laughs> maybe that admonition that you give to our children is to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good theme for all of us to think as we go. Because of Christ's love for us, we not only it's not just that we receive blessings, but we want to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful week. <laughs> hey, my man, we're trying to re- we're trying to record. What do you need? Daddy, I watch Ninja Turtles. You want to watch Ninja Turtles? Ninja